Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Jose Hauser is the founder and CEO of Rocks and Cornerstones, a design, decor, and construction company. They specialize in residential renovations and commercial interior fit-out projects. Jose has her bachelor's degree from Temple University School of Architecture with a minor in construction project management, and she earned her master's degree from Keller Graduate School of Management in Business Administration with a concentration in project management. Before starting Rocks and Cornerstones, Bose worked in the architecture and construction field for over 10 years. She has successfully executed, coordinated, and managed projects ranging from 25,000 to over a million by drawing from her vast experiences as a designer, scheduler, draft person, project manager, construction manager, and owner's rep and general contractor. So just a little bit of experience there, Bose. <laughs> Bose has also recently graduated from the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, as well as the ICIC Business Growth Program, which I would love to hear more about in a little while. Welcome to the Hazard Girls Podcast, Bose. Thank you for having me. I am so excited that you could join us today. We know each other, Bose, through uh, through NAWIC, the National Association of Women in Construction, we are on the board of directors together. Yeah. And so far this year, we've gotten to work together a bunch and I've gotten to know you a little bit, but this is a different situation where I get to really just dig in and find out all about your background, all about your story and hear about your journey. Yep. So, okay. So, yeah. And, well, I'm, I'm so grateful that you were able to fit us in. And so we should tell the audience that even though this is a global audience with, we have listeners all across the US, of course, but all over the world. Mm -hmm. So, but we are actually in the same city. We're both in Philadelphia. And so I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, are you originally from Philly? Where did you grow up? So I moved here. Um, I grew up in Nigeria, Lagos, mm -hmm. Nigeria. Um, and I moved here for college when I was 18. And that's why I came to Temple University to study art, um, architecture. And then I realized that was definitely not going to be my path. So I moved on to construction management. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to have both education under my belt because it has definitely been a, a great impact for my business. Yeah. So, okay. So you majored in architecture. Now, I'm curious to know what was that what that was like because my daughter is very interested in architecture she's only nine but I have a feeling she's going to stay on that path and may possibly yeah. end up studying architecture mm -hmm. so what was that like for you in in this time period this was like what I don't know over the last couple 15 years <laughs> or something like that I mean, you don't have yeah, to say, that was but... um 22 years ago my goodness okay, right. um, so yeah I came to America 22 years ago okay. um and it 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 was not great for okay. me it was not um and i'll tell you why um it's, it's a great question because it's loaded um so yeah. coming to nigeria we it was kind of like boot camp the way we are trained to uh for drafting is like they they literally they make you create a floor plan and elevation and, and a section in like 90 minutes and you need to have your title block done. And this is not drafting. It's not computer at this point. This is hand drafting. So you have to have your line weights right. You have to have everything right. And you have to do, you have to make sure you have all those details in and you have to do it on the, within 90 minutes. And mm -hmm. so I come to um, college here in America. It's a completely different way of teaching. So I was completely lost. For the first two years, I was completely lost in my education at Temple University because now they're making you do collages, which to be honest, I didn't know what a collage was and I was too embarrassed to ask. I didn't know what the significance was for me to be digging through the trash because some famous architect did it in the past. By the way, that's how the Guggenheim Museum was built. He, he had crumbled up his... Uh, 
his drawings and threw it in the trash and it gave him inspiration. So they made us start going through trash to like get inspiration from that. So oh my I was completely lost going from mm. boot camp to this method of teaching. Yeah. And until I had this one professor who was really just a very strict guy and he took no nonsense from any of the students. And I think that just like, even though I did not want to be in his class, I'm so grateful for that guy because through him, I learned what I really needed to know, the functions and the basics of what creates a design. How do you come up with a design? What inspires you in a design? How do you take that inspiration and turn it into design? And that was my fourth semester, second year um, Mm. in college. And um, I thank God for that teacher, for that professor, because if it wasn't for him, I don't know where I would be today. Um, So yeah, if, you know, your daughter, I I always say to people, whenever I hear that they want to be in architecture, it is not for the faint of arts, for the faint Mm -hmm. of arts. Um, You need to know what you're doing and you need to really love it. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. everything and everyone will have an opinion to try to deter you from achieving that goal. So. Mm. That's my advice. Now at Temple, so so you were at Temple doing this and the most fascinating thing about what you just explained to me was probably the fact that you came into college already having done architecture through a program. Was that in your high school? Yeah, so that was in Nigeria. We called it technical drawing at home. So Uh it was all hand drafting and we had our drafting board and our T-squares and pencils and whatever. We had all the stuff um, at home and um, they taught you basically everything you needed to know to succeed in the industry. And then coming yeah. to America, I realized that you needed to have computers and all that stuff. So that was, so just having the drafting knowledge and the hands-on um, experience was great in for me to be able to transfer that knowledge into the digital world. So yeah, yeah. We, I, I, we were properly trained at home, I would say. Yeah, because I, I think most people entering college don't have any background in it. They're probably just starting when they get there. So at least you had that leg I, up. I oh. did. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that's a good point. The other thing that I would say is um, when I was in college, I don't know, it was an elective in college to know, um, to take drafting classes, meaning AutoCAD, the digital, the digital drafting uh, programs they have now. Um, it was an elective. So if you did not elect to take that class, you did not have that knowledge. So I was one of the few that actually took that class. And at this time, AutoCAD was a new program. So it wasn't something that they were really pushing at the time. So I'm not sure. I'm hoping now that it's a necessity. Yeah. <laughs> no longer like an elective. So yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope they've, they've upgraded the program since then. <laughs> modernized. We'll say modernized. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you were, you came from uh, Nigeria, you said, and that must have been really scary for you to go to a whole new country and start this new program. Do you remember feeling, what does it, what did it feel like? Do you remember that feeling? So, um, yes and no. Um, Going to a new college, a new school, that was, it was an experience, yes. So I went to boarding school which I think in Nigeria, I went to boarding school. So you're you're away from your family anyway, right? Mm. And boarding school in Nigeria that I went to is like boot camp. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It really is. It was like really, really, really difficult. Um, so going from there to coming to America and going to college and living in the dorms, um, it, it, it wasn't that far off in experience, like being that I'm already used to not being home every day with my parents um yeah. so now I'm in a different country and my culture I have to now learn to adapt to my environment to the culture and mm-hmm. and now get to make new friends and basically navigate my whole um you know young adult life um as a teenager because I was 18 and just trying to figure out who I am, what my style is, where do I fit in? How does this translate to my future? Who are my friends? Did I make good friends? Am I making good choices? Like mm-hmm. that's a lot to juggle. Yeah. And then try to keep good grades. So 
um it was it was definitely a transition period i would say years it took years for me to find who i really was to know who my you know find my voice but it was not so far off because um you know like i said i went to boarding school and i've had to do that in the past even much younger than i was in college so yeah. um it wasn't yeah it wasn't such a huge transition but it was definitely <laughs> uh just trying to learn the culture or trying to stay true to myself while adapting to my new environment. That was something new. And and you weren't completely in love with what you were studying, it sounds like. So how did you decide to take the construction management minor? So I knew like three years, it took me three years into architecture studies to realize this is not for me um, because I realized you would be sitting behind a computer mm -hmm. all day long and I love being outside. Um, I love hands-on work. Like I took on woodworking um, and I'm, I'm making uh, home decor pieces now. And so I'm like, I love working with my hands. I love being in the field. I love taking something that was once ugly and turning into something beautiful. And although architecture gives you a portion of that, you're stuck indoors, you know, you're not doing, you're not, you really get, you rarely get to be out in the field. And my, the field is where, I know I I just I I love being there. So mm -hmm. I was I was very smart in taking on the minor and I actually didn't tell my parents when I did it. I just went and I took on the extra extra class, extra major, extra year in college and I and I didn't even explain why. I just did it. I was just mm -hmm. like I'm doing this and one of the best decisions I ever made in my entire life. And I didn't ask. I just went ahead and did it. <laughs> and I didn't even, and to be honest, nobody ever came back and was like, where where did this minor come from? Uh -huh. uh, I guess they just figured it took me five years to graduate, but I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. And they didn't ask questions. So I was like, hey, it's it's good. It was one of the best decisions <laughs> I ever made in my entire life. And so, okay. So then you graduated. So now you've got an architecture degree a bachelor's of science, and you've also got this construction management minor. Did you go straight into the construction field from there? I I actually know my first job was in a design, uh, was mm -hmm. as in, a, in an architecture company called Darif Design, and I was a designer. And within eight months, I worked my way up from, they literally only hired me as an administrative assistant. I was only supposed to be take, uh, do, making copies and just helping help helping the team out and mm -hmm. then um uh I worked my way up as soon as there was an opening I'd say hey I know CAD let me help you do whatever and so from there they discovered that I did know how to use AutoCAD and so they started trusting me with more work and then from there it just went on and I became one of the um, employees on our on my team I became one of the people in charge of um either managing other teams because we were working on the Philadelphia airport at the time so mm -hmm. I was managing all the engineers all the subcontractors everybody that's meant to be uh working on this team I was uh you know coordinating with those companies and making sure everyone is on the same page if we move this conveyor belt by two inches we needed to notify everybody else so just to make sure it didn't affect their job so it was great. Within eight months, I did that. Um, unfortunately, it's a high turnover rate at Darif Design. So people typically don't last there that long. So I, I, I ended up moving on to um, that. I think my next job was working for another architecture company. And then from there, I moved on to a construction company. My, my main goal was transferring from architecture to construction. And because mm -hmm. I had um, thank God I had that minor. It was a little difficult in getting my leg in because all my experience had been in design, but mm -hmm. eventually I did it and I, I haven't looked back since then. So I think it's really interesting how you went from when you, when you got your first job, it was actually as an administrative assistant. And I feel like a lot of women, this happens to a lot of women where that's the type of job we're able to get when at entry level. Mm -hmm. And it's, it really says a lot about your abilities and personality that you were able to translate that into a more of a job that you were tra actually trained for. You were able to show them that you actually yeah. had those skills and you were able to move up that quickly within eight months. So would you recommend that path for women or do you think that's not a good idea for, for women to do? 
honestly, at the time, I was just happy to get a job. And yeah. to be honest, this happened in 2006. Mm-hmm. And two years later, the economy crashed. A mm-hmm. lot of people, what I would say to anyone who's ever in, let's say, the field of architecture or even in construction management field, who was still in college and trying to, and probably like about to graduate looking for their first job. The best thing that you can do is to have experience while you're in college. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that set me apart. The fact that I worked on um, try and find one of the facilities management on whatever campus that you're in and try to start drafting or just doing surveys because it's a campus. They always have work going on on campus. That was the path that I took, which was great because I started freshman year. I started working freshman year as soon as I got to college. And um, that was beneficial for me because the truth was when I graduated uh, in 2006, literally, if we graduated with let's say 75 students, I'm assuming 75 students, maybe 20 of us got a job right away the first year, maybe 20 of us. The rest of them were like, had to go back to their, to get their education and masters to give them a better uh, opportunity. And what I found was they did not um, have the work experience while they were in college. So that set them back a lot. So if you really um, are serious about this path, going down to uh, the design or the construction path, um, my best bet is find whatever experience that you can gain right now so you can put it on your resume because it'll definitely give you a leg up when you're- That's up. incredible advice. I love that that advice to actually go to your university because they, they have things that they're building there. You yep. can work at the university. That's really great advice. Now, okay, so then you were- you were in the field, but mostly doing the design work and you wanted to get your life, you said, in the construction industry. Thankfully, you had that major. How yep. did you actually make that leap? Um, you know how they say, fake it till you make it? <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of what I did, honestly. Look, uh-huh. I am one of those people. I am a go-getter. If I know that I can do it, I will tell you I can do it. Whether I have... 10 years of experience or five minutes of experience. Mm -hmm. And the point is, if I tell you I can do it, I will do my very best to make Mm -hmm. sure I get it done. And then you'll look at me and you'll say, oh, good job, Bose. You actually, you did do what you said you could do. So now I'm going to trust you with more. Yeah. The difference there is you better know that you are able to produce the result that you're looking for. Saying I can do it and not being able to do it just makes you look stupid. Right. So so the best thing is like, you can do it. Absolutely. Make sure you can produce. Um, And so for me, what was my first job? My first job was, um, uh, bloody. I think it was Schaefer, Schaefer Builders in Conshohocken. And you know what I did? I saw them building and I I had my resume. And I literally walked onto the job site and I said to them, I am a, I, I am this and that. I just graduated. I have this experience. I have, I know how to use, I have my own program because I, I think I got I downloaded in school. I went and I, I, I was able to uh, download a, a program or I downloaded it from school. I can't remember how I got it, but I had the scheduling program and I went to this construction site and I said to them, I can help you work on your schedule and I can help you get your project uh, to be on time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not even asking for too much money. I just want to work. And they looked at me and they asked me all these questions. And I said, yes, I have my program. I I don't even need you to give me anything. I'm already well equipped to do this job. And they said, okay, when can you start? And this is what we're paying you. And I was like, that's fantastic. And it was a consultant. So that's how I started my consulting job business. Like I literally started as a consultant before I, I developed Rocks and Cornerstones. I would go to- so, all- so they hired you, they hired you as a as an independent contractor? Yeah, because I was not, I was not, I was not W-2. I don't believe mm-hmm. I was W-2 with them. So I just walked onto the job. I was like, I don't even need you. And uh, again, this was when the economy was crashing in yeah. 2008. So 
I was like, I don't need benefits. I don't need this. I don't need, don't do it. Just, just pay me and I will give you my services at a discounted price. And, um, they would. And so I started working with this big, bigger companies, just doing whatever they needed at the time. And sometimes it was like a three month contract. Sometimes it would go longer than that. But a lot of times it was just a short, short, this is what we need you for. This is the pain that we have right now. And this is what we need you for. And once that pain has been resolved, thank you for your services. And that gives me the flexibility to move on. Can you give an example for those of us who aren't you know, working in the construction industry on a daily basis. Can you give us an example of what something like that would be? What an example of one of those jobs? So, okay. All I know is architecture and construction, right? So I'm going to give you my example. Like I said, I walked onto, I, I would just, I would just be driving or at the time I probably didn't have a car. So I'd be taking a bus and I'd see a job site and I would just walk onto the job site for a perfect example. I walked onto this job site one time and I walked into the trailer and I had my resume already printed out and I found the superintendent, superintendent and I said to him, um, I am a college student. I am about to graduate. Uh, this is my resume. These are my qualifications. This is what I've done. This is this is uh, the 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 uh, organizations that I've been a member of. Um, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for an entry level position. Um, I will take anything. I just want the experience. I want to work. This guy took a look at my resume, and um, not that it's relevant, but I'm going to say it anyway. He was a white middle aged man. And he took a look at my resume and I think he was mostly impressed by the tenacity and the Mm -hmm. audacity that I took to walk onto that job site and just say, this is my resume. This is what I'm looking for. Um, Can you hook a sister up? And so he, he called the office in front of me and said, I have a girl, a lady here with a Mm -hmm. resume and it's very impressive. And I think you guys should interview her. And so he set me up with an interview and it was Intech Construction. Mm-hmm. And so Intech Construction is a big construction company. I think they're I think they're known all over America, but I know for sure in Philadelphia they are definitely big. And um I and I I actually got interviewed twice with Intech. However, I messed it up. And this is something else that I definitely want people to know, especially if you're coming out of college. No, having the experience is one thing. Having good grades is another thing. You also need to know how to interview, which mm-hmm. I sucked at. And <laughs> I, I, they had given me an interview time for 8.30. I think I got there at 9. And <laughs> they were like, I saw, yeah, right? And so I was late for my first interview and I couldn't believe like the audacity, like you had that, that, that audacity to walk onto that trailer and ask for an opportunity. And then you mangled the, the time to get there. And I thought I got there on time, but I, 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 I didn't read the time correctly. So I got there. Okay. So I, I still got a second interview, but I didn't, I didn't know how to interview correctly until one of my friends gave me a book okay. on how to interview. And that's how I got my first job at Dire of Design. And they literally hired me on the spot when I interviewed after reading that book at Direct Design. So oh, wow. Yeah. So all, all it took was a little training and a and little training. Being yes. Being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And I did not know that was a thing that you could make mistakes while interviewing. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, my <laughs> is it you don't know what you don't know. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So you were working um as an independent contractor actually just getting these jobs on your own as a consultant. And how long did you do this before you decided to turn it into your own company? All right. So yeah, so Rocks and Cornerstone started in 2009, but it wasn't officially registered until 2013. Um, 2010, I had my first child. 2012, I uh, had my second child and graduated my master's degree. 2014, I had my third child. Um, And in between all that, I would just do a little project at a time, like mm-hmm. just to, you know, just to keep the resume going, just to keep the experience going and just to keep growing. Um, but at the time I had, I had sort of taken a step back in my career a little bit while I was, uh, you know, building my family. But while doing that, I was still sort of, I had like speaking positions. Like I would just kind of 
go to a high school and talk to the students, tell them, you know, kind of advise them on what path to take or whatever. I did those like very few and far in between, but I just did things to make sure that my resume didn't have this huge gap in it. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with taking time off to be a mom and, you know, start your family. And I'm glad that I did, did it the way I did it. Um, Cause it also allowed me to be home with the kids, you know? Um, and then 2013, 2013, I no 2012, after my second child was born, I ended up uh, taking, again, this is the economy. Economy was pretty bad. So I ended up accepting a job at the Home Depot um, as a kitchen and bath uh, designer, which mm -hmm. at the time I didn't realize was actually a good thing for me, for especially for my business. Because one of the things that we really excel at right now is kitchen and bathrooms. And I want to attest that to my training from Home Depot. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time it was, it was very difficult for me to, to say that, um, you know, I had a master's degree in business and project management and I'm working at Home Depot. So that was a huge, you know, blow, I guess, so to speak. I can look back at it now and say, thank God for that experience. But that was a huge blow because, you know, I, I'm, I have a master's degree, right? But you yeah. have to do what you have to do to put food on the table. And so my husband, I was married at the time, obviously, and I had two boys. Um, and then 2013, January, 2013, I believe I sent an email to this guy. Um, I had interviewed with his company two years ago and they had chosen somebody else. And, but I had kept in touch with the business owner, which is crazy, right? Cause I had kept in touch with this guy and I just sort of mentally made him my mentor without him knowing he was my mentor. Uh -huh. And so I would just randomly ask him a question like, how do you do this? And how did you survive? Or how do you get over this hurdle if you're facing? How do you, you know, like, I just kind of would ask him, ask him questions like, how do you do whatever? But again, mm -hmm. I never told him that I saw him as a mentor. This man literally did not hire me, but I knew we connected <laughs> because um, he would just, he had called me personally to say, I'm sorry, we really, I really wanted to hire you, but we went in a different direction, right? Typically mm -hmm. they just say, sorry, you didn't get the job. Yeah. I called me and I was like, okay. So I struck a chord with this guy one way or the other. He really liked me. Again, I had read the book on how to interview and mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just already had the experience and whatever. Um, by the way, the book is called Knock Him Dead for whoever is interested. I was about to ask you that. Mm -hmm. I, you mentioned it twice. We have to tell people what it says. Knock Him Dead? It's Knock Him Dead. And the author is Martin Yates. Okay. Martin Yates, Y-A-T-E. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up like keeping in touch with this guy for two years randomly I just asked him questions and then one final day I sent him an email and I was just like I'm like I think I don't know if I confided in him but I was just like I need something like I I just I need something to be better how did you build your business to where it is right uh -huh. something like that and he responds with um I have a job opening right now um and we would love to hire you. We would love to have you on our team. Um, what's your availability? Are you still looking for a job? And I was like, at the time I was still working at Home Depot. And I was like, yeah. I'm jumping ship instantly. And so this <laughs> guy comes back and he's like, how much would you accept per hour? And I gave him a number. I was like, well, in my previous job, I was making at, at this time, this is 2013, I was making $25 an hour. And he came back and he said, well, I will offer you $30 an hour. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. Like this man offered me way more than I even asked for. So I was super excited. I was working part-time. It was supposed to grow into a full-time position. Um, and it was great because that's when I, I became an owner's rep. Like I was working as an owner's rep for this company called Becker and Frondorf. And my, I really loved it. My experience there was great. Like it was great. I still, you know, that's one of those places where, you know, like you gained a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, respect. I gained, I definitely have so much love and still respect for that company because what they do is amazing. And it's not easy being an owner's rep. Um, so that was how I got that job at uh, Becker and Frondorf. 
And, and so I ended up having, um, getting pregnant and I just, I, you know, I, I, I took a step back from all of that. And, um, truth is I was actually let go at Beckham from it. That's the truth. You were all, you were actually what? They let me go at Beckham okay. from And my understanding of what happened is the guy that hired me was going, is leaving Becker in front of, he's, he's retiring. He started it. Mm -hmm. John, uh, Bill Becker is one of the founding partners of Becker in front of, and he retired. And the, the new person that was going to be stepping into the position, um, I don't know if he just didn't, it, it, we didn't connect, I think. Mm -hmm. So they let me go, um, which was fine. Cause right after that, I found out I was pregnant with my mm -hmm. daughter. And so I was like, you know what? At this point, I had done everything. And the reason why I'm even saying this is because I sincerely believe, I'm a Christian woman. I sincerely believe everything happens for a reason, right? The reason why I'm even bringing this topic up, because I could have avoided it, is this. When they let me go at Becker and Frondorf, and it wasn't Bill Becker that did it. Um, it was a new partner that was coming in. Um, I literally said to myself, I am never working for somebody else again. Never. At that point, mm -hmm. it was August of 2013. I said to myself, I am never working for somebody else again. Because mm -hmm. I, at that time, I had dedicated and I had decided that I would spend at least three to five years with Becker and Frondorf and just be there and be a team player and grow with them. And then mm -hmm. that happened. And it yeah. was not for a just reason. And so I was like, this is it. I'm done. So that literally was the catalyst to building my business. That's why I went down this path to say to you, like, sometimes difficult moments happen in your life and yeah. you don't understand it, but those difficult moments tend to push you to become something else. Yes. And so Rocks and Cornerstones officially started in 2013 after I was fired from that job. Mm -hmm. And I have not looked back ever since, and I have not worked for anybody else ever since. And yes, we had difficult times. It wasn't just like rocks and cornerstones flew off the, you know, just like that. <laughs> we had major difficult times. We had some dry spells. We had like major difficult moments, but <clears throat> needless to say, I'm still standing today. I'm still yeah. alive and my business is growing and my projects are only getting bigger and bigger. And there are times when I would look at myself and think to myself, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life, right? But then when you're able to reflect on where you've come from and where you are, I just have to thank God every single time that, you know, it has been a tough, tough journey for me, but it, it has been successful regardless, you know? Um, yeah. I'm healthy. My children are healthy. My business is growing. We're, we're making moves and we're, we're taking on bigger jobs and it's, it's great. And, and for the most part, for the most part, aside from my husband's support, it has been me every step of the way, just yeah. working. And my mother, my mother has been a great, great advocate for me as well. Um, well, thank you for sharing that story, Bose, because I think, you know, a lot of women go through similar situations where, they are let go from their job yep. or they don't, you know, they're not able to get a job. So they are discriminated against in some way. Yep. And, you know, we don't want to talk about it because yes. it's a bad experience. Right. It's, and you, it's kind of embarrassing. You, know, like, you feel like you it, failed. You feel like you failed. You feel like it's a bad experience. You feel like <clears throat> uh, it's, it's your own fault somehow. Like maybe yep. you could have done something differently. And I think, yep. you know, I think it's really important that you share this because it shows us that it's normal. You know, it's human yeah. things happen. It's yeah. even for, that's for the things that, that happen, you know, that are challenges that maybe happen, but then, then the idea of being discriminated against is a whole other issue, yeah. which is not normal and is not okay. But the point is we overcome these things, right. And mm -hmm. we move on. And move there are on. so many women owned businesses in this country and around the world that are thriving. We have that motivation to have our own business because we don't want to work necessarily for someone else and face discrimination and hostile work environments mm -hmm. and negativity and being ignored and, and overlooked. So yep. thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, now you mentioned that rocks and cornerstones values are based on Christian faith. And I know this is a hugely important thing to you. And as part of your values as a company is to provide honesty, integrity. This is something that you, you said to me earlier, honesty, integrity, compassion, and grace as your driving force. Can you talk about that? Because it, I think it's pretty rare for construction companies to, you know, have religion as part of their value, values or mission. So can you talk about that a little bit? I love how you put that together. Um, and the reason why I say that is my experience. So, <clears throat> well, you've, I've, I've spoken, I've talked about how my, I started in my path, you know, from college, from coming from Nigeria and everything. I literally became a general contractor because I hired a bad general contractor. Mm -hmm. um, so I have the, I, I had the experience as an architecture major and a construction manager major. And I've worked in the, both fields for however many years. And so I, again, from 2013, I had been building my business so that I can start serving and I can start doing bigger jobs. I literally started this business doing the work myself, right? I, we'd, um, my husband and I would do the interior finishes and we'd lay down the floors, paint or uh, do crown molding or uh, do whatever carpentry, finished carpentry that needs to be done. We would even do wallpaper. We loved doing finished work. So we started the business on our own blood, sweat, and tears. And then eventually we started to grow where we needed, uh, our scope of work started to get bigger. So we needed to hire subcontractors or whatever. And at the time I did not have my general contractor's license. So I needed to rely on a third party to help me pull permits in the city of Philadelphia and to help me just coordinate. And I would just do the project management. So I found this client who wanted us to build, uh, rebuild or renovate a house that was completely burnt down. And we needed to do all the framing all over again, um, all that jazz. It was literally like crisp. Um, so I hired this contractor and I paid him the first quarter of the funds and the budget was for $55,000. I gave him the first quarter uh, payment and he barely did anything. And, and then I guess, I guess I learned eventually that he was borrowing or he was borrowing from Peter or stealing from Peter to pay Paul, however that saying goes. Mm. And so he, I had paid him the first payment and I guess whatever my first payment I gave him, he had used it on a different job. And then he finally got a different job and then had the money to quickly get the framing done for my project. Okay. I was aware of this, right? So I, I had seen the framing, framing was done and I was like, thank God, finally, after what, three weeks, I'm finally seeing some progress and knowing what my experience is I'm like it shouldn't have taken you three weeks to make any type of progress but I'm like all right whatever we all work in different ways and all right it's okay so then I asked the client to pay him a second payment client pays him a second payment and client was like this guy's progress is not really are you sure you want to pay him a second payment I advocated for this guy he was a minority contractor and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I think they're finally getting their groups together and like, just to keep the momentum going, let's pay him the second payment. So I pay him the second payment and uh, he barely did electric roughing, barely did HVAC roughing and barely did plumbing roughing, whatever he did. And um, we called for an inspection and we failed. We mm. failed everything. Our initial inspection, our roughing inspection, we failed everything. And right there and then I fired this guy. I fired this contractor. And um, I told my client that I would finish the job. So on 50% of the budget, which was 27,500, I had to um, hire a new contractor to redo the HVAC, not even redo, basically install everything brand new, HVAC, mm -hmm. plumbing and electric and drywall. And for 27,500, we bought all the, we paid for all the, um, all the rough-ins. We passed inspection. We did all the ins uh, insulation, passed inspection there, then did drywall, passed inspection, and then moved forward to um, finishes. I believe I painted the whole house myself. Oh I my insulated God. the whole house myself. I had <laughs> help from my husband, but my husband had a full-time job. So what I would do at the time was run, take the kids to school, run back to this job site, 
quickly get stuff done within three hours. I believe my daughter was still in preschool, run back home to go get her from preschool, go back to the job site with my daughter. At some point, we started to take our slow cooker to the job site because it was safe enough because now we're in finishes, right? It was safe enough. We already had the paint, the second floor painted. We had carpeted the second floor and I had a hotspot and an iPad. And so uh -huh. I had my kids upstairs after school watching Netflix while I'm working downstairs with my husband and the oh slow cooker is cooking upstairs so that we had dinner at our oh job. That's what we did. <laughs> so I would do that for many months. I, we did that because we didn't have the, there was no more money in the budget to yeah. hire people. So my husband and I had to finish it and we had three kids. So we needed to figure it out. So I would look up recipes online and like <laughs> slow cook stuff and because yeah. I didn't want to keep spending money on pizza or whatever so we would take like paper plates and whatever and go cook upstairs in this because the second floor was carpeted and it was good the second floor was ready to, to occupy we were still working on the first floor and so that's what we did till we finished this job what um, a story and your client was so happy uh the client and <laughs> the client was happy but he ended up complaining blah 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 you know it's just like in this business, I failed. I'm going to say, I, I can say it now with confidence that I failed so many times, but at the time when I was failing, I didn't, I was too embarrassed to say that I was failing. Mm -hmm. Right. But now that I can look back at it, oh my goodness, there's no growth without failure. You yeah. have to embrace those failures because if you don't, you're just going to stay still. You can't grow. Your failures literally push you to do better, to want to be better. And yeah. I'm still failing, um, but I'm failing forward. I'm falling forward. Oh, I'm, I love I'm, that, okay. <laughs> I'm failing forward. I'm failing forward <laughs> all the time and I'm embracing it. Sometimes it's yeah. hard and it's very difficult, but I fail forward and I embrace it. I might be down for a moment, but I'll be up tomorrow. Right now, I started um, last year, I uh, started, it was supposed to be a side hustle where I just make money while I'm busy building my construction business. And it's supposed to be the decor, except it's not a side hustle. It's a whole nother business. And Are you now talking I, about the woodworking? No, I saw... <laughs> So it's kind of like the woodworking. I have uh, so many things, so many ideas, and I've kind of tried to like put everything together to make it into something. Um, so now I have RNC furnishes, and what we do, it is part of the woodworking. We can we literally make um, like small furniture furniture pieces, maybe like a wall hanging ornament or something. So we're working on something right now, and I actually want to show you. Give me a second. Okay. <laughs> While Bose goes to get her piece of furniture, um, I just want to mention that Bose was also part of the uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 Businesses Program, which is a very prestigious program. And you have to be a pretty successful business to get into that in the first place. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more about that as well after she shows us this. Okay, go ahead and show us. Yeah, this. so I'm working on a new idea. So again, with the whole decor part, we're working on like small furniture pieces. We're going to be making some Ottomans and I want it to be rooted in the African culture. So mm -hmm. a lot of African uh, furniture that you see there are more traditional. It's not really modern. And I'm a modern type person and my designs are modern. And so I decided that I wanted to start making um, some furniture pieces. So we're going to have some wall hanging, like frames, picture frames or canvases, but I'm still trying to figure out, figure that out. But I started with this idea and it's not finished. I'm just kind of barely hold it up so you can see it. So it's like a, it's a silhouette. I'm just, it's a silhouette. Can you see it? Uh, I can see it. It's on the side, but it's okay. Sideways. I'm going to describe it. Our audience can't see it. So let me describe it. So, oh, okay. It is the, so it's the silhouette of a it's woman. A, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why don't you describe it to us, Rose? It's a silhouette of a woman. And it's got a cutout of her facial features, but she's wearing like sunglasses. And we're also going to have, it's kind of like a 3D rendering. So do you mm -hmm. see the beads right there? We have red yeah. beads around her waist. Traditional it's African women wear beads around their waist. I forget mm -hmm. what it signifies. I think, 
I forget what it signifies, but they wear beads around their waist and it's mm -hmm. the red beads. So this, this silhouette of a woman has the red beads around her waist and also has the African fabric representing whatever attire she's wearing. Um, and so we're trying to incorporate the modern, modern woman with the African traditional attire and just make it look beautiful. And so that's going to be a picture frame, uh, you know, something like that. So, and then we also do like Ottomans, we do tables, we do all kinds of things. We're working on the website right now for the things that we make. And we also import some things from China, from Italy, from all over the world. We're still trying to get our resources together for that. But yes, so that's, you know, it's like stuff like that, that I'm excited about. Like, yes, mm -hmm. I have this construction business and it's doing its thing it's barely on its feet and then I went and started something else so I'm like you know, <laughs> you're you're kind of crazy but it's just it's just life and I love it and I can't wait to just to get these things together um, so exciting and I think that's I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that you have to be a little bit crazy yep, <laughs> you have yep. to have a lot of energy and excitement for what you're doing and then there's always another project that you want to chase right but, um can I, Jose, can I ask you about the Golden Sachs program? Because I think this is a great program for uh, women-owned businesses to get involved with, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about it and um, how, you know, how that experience was for you. Yeah, so Golden Sachs was, was amazing. I, I will say right off the bat, at, once I got accepted and I got into the class, I was an underdog in my, in my cohort. I was cohort 21. And my business was probably one of the smallest businesses, but it was such a privilege to be among these other business owners that are so successful because you get to be a sponge and just soak up the knowledge everybody's feeling. And um, let me tell you something that I found though, no matter how big or small your business is, every business has similar problems. Every business is trying to overcome the same obstacle. So it just, it was really good for me to be in that room with all those people and just gain that knowledge and experience because they help you to really figure out what you need to improve in your business. And they kind of help you to navigate and think through your difficulties in, in your business. You have to qualify to be in the Goldman Sachs. And at the time, um, the threshold to qualify was higher. Now they've brought it down a little bit. And for other women, they have, for minority women, I think black and brown women, they have a program called, uh, I think it's being in black, I forget. I'll, I'll get you the information. Maybe you can post okay. it. Um, uh, uh, and it's literally for women, minority women businesses. And it's a Goldman Sachs program. And um, they really do put you through this whole thing where what I went through, you have to be making a certain amount of money to be able to qualify. But if you have a smaller business, you could qualify as a woman, as a minority woman, and just qualify uh, if you meet the threshold. I, I don't know what the threshold for this one is, but it is a great program. It literally helps you. It tells you, it teaches you about marketing, about finances, about knowing your numbers and just, you know, finding opportunities and just being able to think through personality traits and all kinds of things. It's, it's a great program. And when I graduated Goldman Sachs, uh, 10KSB, I graduated in 2020. We were the hybrid class where we were in person and then mm -hmm. we had to go online because COVID started. Um, my business did the most it ever did. It was the most successful at that time. It mm -hmm. has been successful since I've done Goldman Sachs. And um, I took on IC, ICIC as well. Uh, because um, you're never, you can't, you, you can't stop learning as a business right. owner. You what can't stop ICIC? learning as a person, period. It's similar to Goldman Sachs. It's something inner, inner city capital. I don't know what it stands for, but um, it's similar to Goldman Sachs where they teach you, uh, you know, this is a self-paced course where they teach you, basically you have to work through it and you have to earn the credit to graduate. Um and they teach you how to run your business and they teach you all the basic things like the marketing, how, what you need to market, how, who's your market audience. And they have the tools to help you figure out 
if if this is what you're selling, your audience is probably going to be Pinterest. If this mm-hmm. is what you're selling, you probably ha- are, are going to be Instagram. And they've mm-hmm. already calculated it where they know that majority of the people on Instagram are men, majority of the people on Pinterest are women, majority of the people on Facebook are older, older yeah. generations. So they've done that. So that way you're able to figure out, okay, who are you marketing to and, you know, who you, you know, where, where, what's the platform that you should be marketing? Things like that are things that business owners need to know. People who are, um, even consultants, like that's things like that, that you need to know I'm forever learning and I'm still going to be learning. Um, and yeah, those, those programs are, are been, have been very paramount to me growing my business to where it is. And I'm still growing my business. I'm not done yet. Okay. So, so highly recommending Goldman Sachs and I see, I see. Okay, so uh, Jose, where, how can our listeners find you, connect with you personally, and also your businesses? Where can they find your businesses online? I am online. Um, <laughs> you can find me on my website. It's www.rocks, R-O-C-K-S hyphen cornerstones, C-O-R-N-E-R-S-T-O-N-E-S.com. From there, you can also connect to... Um, on my first page, you can connect to RNC Furnishes, which is RC Furnishes, F-U-R-N-I-S-H-E-S.com, if I spelled that correctly. <laughs> RCFurnishes.com, yeah. Um, and you can also call me. A lot of times right now, what our target market right now is our investors. Um, we mm-hmm. actually help in the Philadelphia or surrounding suburbs, we help investors to build their properties and uh, make it ready for sale. The de- the advantage with working with us actually is because we source materials from China, you or other other places, you are you have the advantage of having unique pieces in your home that you will not find at Home Depot, Lowe's, or any mm-hmm. other store. And so you have those unique items that, you know, you would probably have to spend a ridiculous amount of money for, but we source our own materials. So that's an advantage for our clients. Um, We also work with commercial owners because we do commercial interior fit out work. Um, Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, really cool. Well, Bose Hauser, founder and CEO of Rocks and Cornerstones a design decor and construction company in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, and a member of the board of directors for the Nawick Philly chapter. Jose, thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast today. You're a true inspiration, and we really learned a lot from you. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. I had fun. This was great. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.